Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad that you're here today. And I don't know, I, I love days like today. You can just feel spirit moving in strong ways. A spirit of humility, of brokenness, of praise, just, it's palpable. You know, days like today really encourage me personally in my faith. Um, you know, it's been an eventful week all around. Very busy in a lot of different ways. Friday was very eventful here. I think it was kind of the Lord's way of maybe instituting this new baptism by fountain. And <laughs> Phil was our first uh, person to do that as he went through the streams of water, but <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> but thankfully, the damage was, was minimal, and we're able to still meet today. Um, you know, today, we're going to be kind of transitioning in our series a little bit. We're going to move over to Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, we're going to be starting to talk more about the gifts of the Spirit. You know, in, in Ephesians 4, we talked a little bit about some of the gifts, but focused more on the offices for our understanding, trying to make that separation, that delineation a little bit better for us. Um, and, you know, and as we've been talking about things of the Spirit for a while now, uh, I'm sure we've had ample time to sort out some of our own thoughts on the matter. Um, you know, it's still be a little bit of time before we get into some more of the controversial gifts, of course. Um, but we're still going to go through these things one week at a time. You know, I, I'm encouraged as God is continuing to te teach me, to help me grow in my understanding of a lot of these things as I get to share that with you. I'm excited still to see how God will show us His ways, uh, His truth. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to read in Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, as we go to your word today, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand your truths. Lord, help us to be exposed in our own areas of selfishness. And Lord, may you be praised above all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to look at the spiritual gifts, the charismata, if you will, it's within that term you have the word charis, which is grace. So we're going to be talking about things of grace. And some of the conversations that we have might present some uncomfortableness. But, you know, as we think about how to understand the gifts of the Bible, how we understand the charismatic today, it can get challenging. 
You know, as we're going through this series, a lot of the challenging parts for me has been being able to articulate things in distinct segments, while at the same time understanding of the context and having a good background in our knowledge to understand what we're going through. That's why um, today I think is going to be one of the more important messages because I'm going to try to lay out some of this context that I'm going to be building on over the next few weeks. So it's important to, to have this in our minds as we're going through um, the, the later passages. And I continue to encourage you to read some of the larger passages, larger sections around just this small paragraph, um, to continue to read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Um, so that we can continually have this context in our minds, um, going through and understanding what God is trying to teach us. So, today we're going to be going through we're going to be going through this list of Romans here first, and then we're going to move over to First Corinthians. We're going to try to take a gift a week. Sometimes it might be two gifts in a week. Sometimes I might have to t- spend two weeks on one gift. It just kind of depends on the breakdowns and what God is is teaching me through that. But to start off, I wanted to hit some of the high points here in Romans. So it might be a little bit random today. So just kind of giving you a heads up to be ready for that. Also, we want to kind of uh, maybe have a bookmark in for 1 Corinthians 12, because I'll refer back to that in several places. So again, there's a lot of correlations, a lot of parallels between those passages. So we want to kind of read those together as well. Um, You know, if you compare... 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, you'll be able to see some big differences. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 12 has a lot more detail. Romans 12, uh, we have five verses. So it's not as in-depth of what Paul is going into. Um, What we need to understand is he is talking to two different churches, that each have their own contexts, that each have their own issues that he's addressing. We're pretty familiar with 1 Corinthians and how they are messed up, to put it lightly. They've got a lot of issues going on, a lot of different abuses going on, not just with the gifts, but with a lot of other things as well. But, you know, when we get there in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see how they're misusing some of the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, he also lays out a bit more for them in terms of proper instruction, how to treat them, how to use them, how to understand them. In Romans, he's coming off of a section uh, from chapters 9 through 11 that speak to the people nationalist, in a nationalist sense, in an ethnic sense, to both the Jews and the Gentiles, and now he's speaking to the church. In both places, In 1 Corinthians and in here, the gifts are assumed by Paul. Now, what we need to remember, and I think is important with the church here at Rome, Paul has never seen these people. He's never been there. He's never met them. He doesn't know what their issues are. He might have heard some things here and there. That's why he's writing this letter. A lot of it's to encourage, to instruct, but he has not been a part of that church Yet he is confident that the church is displaying the gifts or would be charismatic. This is the pattern within the churches. This would be Paul's belief in how a church is to operate. 
So as we look at Paul's focus and his understanding, how he viewed the gifts in his day, and then translate to how we view the gifts today, there can be some jumps. But we want to stick to what Paul is saying, what the Word of God is saying. Today, again, we will also be addressing a little bit of the body motif that Paul talks about in both of those chapters. So as we kind of dive in with context, there's two things I want to point out. Uh, First, when it comes to how Paul understands the gifts, he understands them with humility. Uh, Look at verse 3. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think too highly, or not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, I think that this is a very main point within this whole paragraph in terms of the humility that Paul approaches the gifts. Christians shouldn't think too highly of themselves, but rather use sober judgment to evaluate themselves. To Paul, the spiritual gifts were not toys, they were not weapons, but they were tools for the kingdom of God to be built upon. The gifts were not something to boast about, but rather something to use to serve others. You know, and we'll continue to dig into this deeper each week, but we need to remember that these are gifts from God. It's not something that we possess. And that's going to be another debated thing that we'll get into here in just a little bit. The second thing of context that I want you to notice is this use of the body analogy. As Paul talks about the body here in this section, we don't want to separate from the first two verses in chapter 12. The understandings that come from those. You know, let's read those real quick. I appeal to you, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you think of the term body being used in both places there. Paul is asking us to, or asking the Romans to present themselves as a living sacrifice. Present your body. Membership in the body of Christ is not to be separated from that daily service, from that renewal by the Spirit. A life that is not to be conformed to this world, but rather living as new creations, spiritually minded. And again, as he's speaking to the Roman church, He just went through the expressions of faith um, in the previous chapters that looked to the Jews and the Gentiles and how they viewed faith. He's weaved the gospel message throughout all of the book of Romans. And now he's making a claim that the way of the church would be the way through grace that comes from God. The expressions of grace is in the term, the gifts. This is what the new corporate identity of the church was to be like. To function as the body of Christ. You know, he had warned the readers about the faults of the Jews who had looked to the law. That was what their identity was rooted in. 
He looked to the Gentiles whose identity was rooted into the pagan idolatry worship type stuff. And now for the church, he is trying to root their identity as the body of Christ. It's in Christ. That is where their identity is to be given. You know, he warned the Romans about their arrogance, about being grafted in to the tree. And now he's presenting this new ethnic identity for the people of God, to be people of spirit and grace. So with these two points in mind, with our context of humility and this body analogy, let's get into some subtle beliefs that are in the church. And it's an, it's an interesting issue that I want to bring up first, um, one I think I need some more exploration on in my own life, in my own understanding, um, to understand and discern a little bit deeper. Um, and as I dove into it a little bit this week, I think this one question kind of dictates a lot of how you view the gifts in terms of for today. And the issue is whether or not the charismata, the spiritual gifts, are wholly supernatural or whether they utilize a natural ability. So, meaning are our talents, are our abilities gifts of the Spirit? It's an interesting question to ponder and wrestle with. In Paul's mind, I'm not sure that he would be so crystal clear on that. Because to him, for things to be charismata, they would have to express and convey grace. And that can be found in many different things. I mean, we understand that this is not an exhaustive list as well. So again, how do we understand the natural realm? You know, the belief that God has gifted you certain abilities, certain talents, that things just come easier to you in this specific thing. You are wired in a specific way. This is your personality that, has, that God has given you. Is that the same as a spiritual gift? In a lot of ways, it seems like a simpler explanation to say yes. To say that those things that we just have an affinity towards is our, natural, or is our spiritual gift. Personally, I like to think that our talents and our abilities definitely do come from God, just as described in the book of Exodus, as the, the skilled tradesmen, the, the craftsmen, uh, were put there by God to, to make the things of the tabernacle and everything that went in it. But we also understand how those things can be honed, improved upon, where it can just be us. And, you know, while I believe that our abilities and our talents come from God, I also believe that there's a separation from those abilities and the spiritual gifts that are described in the New Testament. You know, I could be a, a dynamic speaker. I can pump up crowds but not have love. And at that point, I would just be a noisy gong. I can have talent and I can speak publicly, but that doesn't mean that I'm being prophetic. Prophetic is speaking what God has called me to speak. And I know, at least it's been evident in my walk, in my life, I've blended these two ideas together, the natural and the supernatural, in order to reconcile or explain things in the easiest way. To where maybe it's easier for me to explain something in the natural realm and just give a little bit of credit towards God's design 
versus recognizing something being completely of God and it being mysterious. Now, both views obviously can be abused. Both views, we can take it in a selfish way and we can claim our own power in those types of things. You know, as we're working with God in the here and now, we need to remember who He is. Any gift that He gives isn't going to contradict anything that He's given in the natural realm or the natural order of things. It might even build upon our natural abilities. But a gift that's enabled by the Spirit shouldn't be confused with the natural realm. You know, there's a, there's a variety of gifts here. Some of them overlap in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, but we need to think and ponder and wrestle with how we're viewing the spiritual gifts, how we're understanding them compared to our own thoughts or our own abilities and talents. You know, when we try to understand Paul, Paul is more concerned with a consistent response to the promptings of grace in our life than finding this exact formula. Everything that he is doing and saying is trying to glorify and magnify the Father. You know, it reminds me of when the apostles tried to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, this guy over here, he's casting out demons in your name. And Jesus is like, let him be. He's not your enemy. You know, there's things that we won't always understand. But does it give glory to the Father? Does it praise Him? Does it magnify Him? Or is it magnifying ourselves? I think that's one of the first tests that we have to look at when we're understanding these things. Because Paul understood that from the standpoints of the needs of the community, God is going to provide. And many times He would provide through people. People are the means that his grace is being conveyed. Paul obviously held certain gifts to higher degrees. You know, he holds prophecy in tongues to a higher degree, as it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. You look at 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about faith, hope, and love. But you know, when you think about all of those gifts, he reminds the church to not think too highly of themselves. He never looks at the gifts with a sense of pride, but rather divine grace that is being bestowed upon the people. This grace is the thrust in both of these passages. It's the root of the charismata, charis. Peter picks this up in 1 Peter 4. He says this beginning in verse 10. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. That is the end goal, giving glory to God. In, at what, in, whether that's in our natural realm, whether that's in the supernatural realm. The people who would be receiving this letter would understand from Paul through his description that he's talking about every word, every action that they are doing, that they are bringing a, a concrete, definite expression of God's grace to those around them. Grace is the emphasis. It is the source of the measure of the gifts. And it would stress Paul's teaching that it 
that an acceptable life sacrificed to God is one is not one that is lived in its own power, but rather one that is dependent wholly on God. You know, the gifts are the outworkings of God's gracious power and his merciful will. This term charism or charismata comes from charis, that is the source of the giftings, so we understand how the giftings are bathed in the grace of God. They are capabilities for his service and his service alone. Now, I want to share a curtism with you. Not sure on the validity, but one of the reasons why I spent so long on the series of keeping in step with the Spirit is because it's been true in my life that the gifts in all of their wonderful variety have been available, for lack of better terms, um, as my walk allows it. For a time, if I am deeper with God in my relationship with Him, I have eyes to see that are a lot clearer, the needs of the community. I'm open a little bit more to those promptings of the Spirit to go serve, to go teach, to go show mercy. Whereas if I'm just introspective and just all about me and I'm just doing selfish things, I'm not as open to the leadings of the Spirit. So a lot of what we're discussing, again, is predicated on what we talked about last year in terms of keeping in step with the Spirit. When we assess how our walks are going, how deep we're going with the Lord, are we just keeping things at a surface level? Are we diving deeper? What is our relationship with the the Lord like? As that gets deeper, you're going to see God work through you in such strong ways because you're expecting that. Your faith is growing in that area to where you know that God is real, to where you know what God is calling you to do because you're walking step step by step with him. For that reason, I find it interesting in verse 3 where it says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, this correlates in, in 1 Corinthians 12 Beginning in verse 4, it says this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And skipping down in verse 11, it says, All these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You know, but I think back here in verse 3, this term, this measure of faith is interesting because the measure of faith implies that there's a difference in between each individual. And it goes with, with verse 11 in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, how the Spirit apportions as He wills. The gifts are abilities that God gives us by grace. And here the gifts are operated within the body of Christ for the members' mutual benefit. Now he talks about the measure of faith. I think the the measure of faith or the faith that's in view here is connected a little bit with verse 6 as he talks about using prophecy in proportion to your faith. So again, it goes back to that keeping in step with the Spirit where We are trusting God to work through us to bring blessings to others. 
And the way that we need to look at this is with sober judgment. Because it is the spiritual gift, and it comes from God. It doesn't reflect the worth of the person, of the giver. You know, I'm not a more superior Christian because I have this gift. Paul speaks against that mentality. Don't think too highly of yourself. Understand that it is a gift of grace from God. We need to understand and believe that God has given the gift to be used for his glory, to build up, to encourage the brothers and sisters in faith. So this is important for the body. You know, Paul stresses how the church is a body. And here in Romans, you know, it's not as deep of a teaching in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll cover that a little bit deeper when we get to that section. Um, but for today, I just want to touch on some general things to get our head wrapped around some of these ideas, this, this imagery, this picture that Paul gives. You know, it emphasizes the differences in the measure of faith to the differences in the body. Not all members are the same. And again, it's important for us to stress this motif a little bit about Israel and what they are coming from in terms of the law. You know, that was their understanding of the people of God, was those who were chosen by him and they followed the law. This motif is now changing to this picture of a body. And this is what Paul says at the end of Romans 9. He says, what shall we then say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not, ex- not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. You know, Paul is teaching how the body of Christ, the church, would be a people about the cares, about grace, about the charismata. His ideal vision or picture of the body is a charismatic community. Now that term is tainted in our understanding because of how we view charismatics today. But again, understanding how Paul views this term is important for us to go back to the original, to go back and not, not go to the extremes but to have a healthy understanding, a sober judgment of what Paul is saying. Paul is simply saying that each member of the body, based on their measure of faith, would be an active member of the body. How the church would not be overly dependent on one or two individuals, but rather a collection of individuals who are keeping in step with the Spirit and interdependent on each other as they are dependent on the Spirit. I wrote that this week and I thought, man, that's the best articulation I've ever had in my life. Because it's so true in terms of how we understand a body to work. You know, the only structure they would need is the body of Christ. Now, I would say that we love to say that we, we are dependent on Christ. But how is the structure in our lives, in our churches, in America? Does it, look at, does it look like what I just described? I mean, individually, we depend on many other things other than Christ. Ourselves, our jobs, our bank accounts. Corporately, we depend on a few individuals to do everything. 
to lead us each week. Is that the picture of the church, of the body that Paul has in Scripture? You know, when we look at this analogy and we compare it, Paul is saying that all the members of the body are charismatics. They're organs of the body, each part having its own function. Everyone is different. Everyone has their function. Their functions are mutually beneficial to the whole body. The importance of each gift, it's not really gone into in depth here. There's just some simple instruction of what those with the certain gifts are supposed to do. But you know, Christianity is not to be a spectator sport. It is to be hands-on. You are to be involved in your faith. You are to be an active member of the body. And you know, when you think about why he's writing this to a group of, of people that he hasn't met, as you take all of Romans into account with this understanding of the body, obviously Paul is giving right teaching throughout the whole book. He's weaving the gospel in. But you under, when you understand what he's trying to do for the church, he's trying to change tradition of their ethnicity, to move away from the law and move into grace. He's trying to teach them about how they need to be a body, mutually supporting one another as each person is dependent on the Spirit. He is giving them a specific identity, telling them that they are one in the body of Christ, and only in the body of Christ can they be one. Can they be united? They cannot find this unity anywhere else. And the fact that they're in Christ, that term in Christ, is going to be countercultural to anything that they come up against. Christianity would not be a solitary lifestyle where you go it alone. But it's going to be lived with the members of the body looking out for one another. You know, as I get older, I forget what different stories I've shared and what I haven't shared or who's heard what. So if you heard this, forgive me. But one of my first sermons that I gave when I was young in the pastor, I was still a youth pastor at the time, but it was actually at Elaine's home church where she was raised. And it was a sermon on 1 Corinthians 12. The context was the pastor had just stepped down and I got to be the first person up in the pulpit. This young kid that didn't know anything. So I, the Lord led me to preach on 1 Corinthians 12, to encourage them that they needed to come together to be a body because they had lost their pastor, he had stepped down, and they were going to be in a search for who knows how long till they found a new pastor. That they needed to encourage one another to build each other up as the Spirit is uh, guiding them. And that was my thought going into this. Um, and I joked, as I usually do in my messages, in the body... I picture myself as a big toe. And I didn't know how accurate that description was going to be at that time. When I said it, I said it as a joke. Look, it's a big toe. It's out of the limelight. I'm just here to serve. I still am just here to serve. I didn't think too much of it. But, you know, as I was preparing for this message, and I had recalled a lot of the things that have gone on in my pastoral life, in ministry, I can't help but see how accurate that pick was. When you think about how important your toes are for balance, my whole ministry, as I reflect on it, has been about balance. 
to avoid the extremes on either side, but bring, bring people back to the heart of Scripture. When you think about when you stub your toe, whether it's your big toe or your pinky toe, how much does that hurt? It aches. The whole body feels the pain of the big toe because it's been stubbed. The whole body needs to sit down and care for that big toe. And I've experienced that in strong ways over the last few years as I've been stubbed in life. I hate the analogy, but I love the imagery. I hate that I got stubbed that way. For a big toe, you think about an ingrown toenail or a hangnail and the pain, the nagging, the stabbing that it causes telling the whole body, something's not right. Something needs to change. A lot of my ministry has been pushing people out of complacency, pushing them in their faith to follow God in a deeper way, being that little nagging, annoying voice, as I am called to do. You know, again, as I said that I'm a big toe is a joke, I didn't realize how truthful God was being in my life to the point that now I just want to boast all the more in my weaknesses so that he may be magnified. A joke that's 12 years in the making. As people who call themselves Christians, we need to be a body who acts on the Spirit and his giftings, building each other up by using whatever gift he has given us So we're going to be going over this list of gifts. Remember, it's not exhaustive by any means. And I want us to wrestle with our own thoughts about the spiritual gifts versus our natural abilities in these next few months. Because this first list of gifts gives us that opportunity to explore that a little bit deeper in terms of those thoughts. But for today, I want us to celebrate the grace that has been given to us the fact that we are his, that we are in Christ, that we are in the body of Christ. That is something that should make us rejoice each and every moment of our lives. Let us be united as a body in him and let each of us act in accordance to the measure of faith that we have been given. Let's pray. Father, as we continue this study, Lord, I am just in awe at how you move. I'm in awe of your wonder, of your grace, of your love. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this body. Lord, I praise you for each believer here that loves you deeply. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would make us vulnerable, humble, broken, in areas that we need to be broken in. Lord, because we have to tear down our walls of pride, of selfishness, of control, so that we can be built up in your love by your spirit. 
Lord, the process of sanctification and, and making us like you can be a difficult road. But I pray that we, not, we do not think too highly of ourselves to know that we haven't arrived yet. But we are so grateful that we are on this journey with you. Lord, we praise you, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that he is and all that he has done. And we look forward to him coming again as the conquering king. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.